0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn, compare it to your neighbor's lawn, and complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. This is the Gator Nation Football
1: Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVergilio.
2: This
1: place
2: is an insane asylum in the swamp. Oh, my. Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs.
3: So after technical difficulties last week where we lost the Kiwan Ratliff interview, we've brought him back on this week. So Kiwan, thanks for being gracious with your time. I promise to watch the recording the entire time to make sure it doesn't go off this time. <laughs> but uh, welcome back to the program. I know we've been texting back and forth for a week, so it's it's, it's good to have you back here. I can't wait to get your thoughts.
2: I uh, appreciate you for having me back on. All
3: right, so let's just start with the big question. Uh, we lost again here two in a row. What is your opinion of where the program is right now?
2: Uh, honestly, right now the program is, is it's not even, in in the worst spot that it's been in in a while but it's in a bad spot it it kind of reminds me of of my senior year when we were sitting at the in, uh in midpoint of the season we were three and three and everybody counted us out everybody was looking at us like you know we're we're the worst uf team in the history of, of football so i believe that they're, they're in a similar position as we were back in 03
1: so let me ask you this very bluntly which direction is this program headed in? Is the arrow pointing up or down? Essentially, I'm asking you: Should McElwain be the coach after this season?
2: I believe McElwain should still be the coach after the season. Honestly, I don't fault him entirely for what's going on with us because, as we all know, he's not the one calling the X's and O's on offense and making the play call. I feel like he's a he's a great motivator. He's a great recruiter. He knows his X's and O's. He knows what he's doing. But I believe that for us to be as successful as we can be, I think it may be time for him to take over the helm and start calling some of those offensive plays.
3: I mean, obviously we have a problem right now with the offense. Three straight years of being below 100. Just watching it on tape gives you plenty of indication that it's it's not good. What needs to be done to fix it? If you're a key one in charge of of the offense and you can do what you want, are you firing people? Are you changing offensive staff? Are you changing style and strategy? What are you doing? What would be your steps to correct it?
2: I mean, honestly, I believe that the the most obvious thing to do is to change the style. Our the style of offense that we run is is pretty much similar to the LSU's and the Alabama's and the the power the powerful teams, the the teams that line up in more of your your old-school Big Ten football where Nebraska football, where you line up and you're just going to line up, put a hat on the hat, and overpower you. I don't believe that that's our style of of play, and I don't believe that's the style of players that we have in the state. If you look around the state of Florida, you'll find the the, the most speed out of any state in the country, I believe. So I believe for us to be truly successful – and if you look at the history of our program, we've been successful when the offensive coordinator comes out and uses that speed to his advantage.
1: Which offensive style do you prefer? Uh, would you want us to see us running a more spread offense?
2: Oh, I would love to see us running that that spread-slash-air-raid style of offense. If you look at the wide receivers and, and the running backs and the tight ends we have on our team, all those guys are explosive playmakers in the open field. They're not – yeah, prototypical possession X Y receivers that you put outside, and they can run that that dig or that curl and post up and catch that ball and, and play like a big wide receiver. We have more guys that that rely on speed and rely on their quickness. So, whenever you have a team full of guys that are that are speedy guys and quick guys, you know that that spread style would would fit more to us. And I feel like the way we're recruiting the players that we have committed in the future, and the players that we have on, uh, on the team right now would greatly benefit from being one-on-one in open space with a lot of these DBs and a lot of these linebackers and, and take advantage of our, our mismatches. And I feel like if we, we got the ball quick into their hands a lot more, it would open up the run, and it would also make our offensive line job a lot easier.
3: Is there a coach you like right now whose style is exemplifying what you're talking about?
2: I mean, I'm I'm biased because I live right here in Orlando. So I've watched what Coach Frost has done with that program at UCF, and I'm watching that offense put up. I just watched them on Saturday put up 49 points in the first half, and, and then they put the brakes on it in the second half and just cruise to an easy victory. They come out, they play fast, they get the ball in their playmaker's hands. They have a running back who I've worked with that's no more than 170 pounds. And this kid, every week, he gets an open space, open field, and takes one to the house 50, 60 yards. He knows how to, how to get his guys in one-on-one matchups, and you make one guy miss and strike up the band. That, that style of offense, I feel, would be the best style of offense for us. But you have other, other guys around the country like Oklahoma State and, of course, the Urban Myers, and There's a lot of offenses out there that are putting up points with a lot less talent than what we have.
1: Let's talk about the quarterback position for a minute. You know, Felipe Finks is a redshirt freshman. He's struggled a little bit. Um, Should he be having more success, or is the coaching to blame for his struggles?
2: Honestly, if we would have had this conversation like we did last week, I would have put it all on the coaching. But this week, I actually watched Coach Nussmeier opened up a little bit more. I actually watched him give Felipe a chance to throw the ball on first down a lot more. I watched him call an aggressive game plan a lot more this game than he has in the past. And I was calling for that because we really didn't know how Felipe would react to that, how Felipe would play with a more aggressive, more open offense. And after watching Felipe this week, I really don't believe Felipe's ready to to take over an offense and and lead us there. He's not seeing the field. He's not scanning the field. He's locking on to his his initial receiver. He he never comes back to his left-hand side. As guys running wide open where, you know, those are things that a quarterback that's starting at the University of Florida and the SEC, those are the basic fundamentals that you expect those kids to already have. So as a coach, when you're coaching a guy, and you have to start back over from the basics on little things like that, that sometimes can hinder your play calling. And and now I see why Nussmeier has scaled it back some and tried to give them just basic vanilla one- or two-read plays. And, and, I mean, playing against defenses like LSU and Georgia and even Texas A&M, you can't expect to be successful when you have to hold your quarterback's hands the way that Nussmeier has had to hold Felipe's.
3: Now, Kiwan – the question that comes when I'm hearing you talk about that is Franks is a guy that McIlwain selected. Franks said before this, I mean, uh, McIlwain said before the season that this is the best quarterback room he's had at the University of Florida. He's, guys, he's got guys like Kyle Trask. He's got Malik Zaire. Of course, he lost Luke Del Rio, He's got Jake Allen. They've had a year and a half with Franks. How long does it take? And I know with your 7-on-7 seven seven team, certainly you're evaluating quarterbacks all the time. How long does it take for a coach to know what he's got with his quarterback?
2: Honestly, I believe a full year. But If you give a guy a full year in your system and you watch him develop and you watch him grow after that year, you can pretty much judge what you have. Now, that's not to say he can't get better or he can't get worse, but you can pretty much have a baseline to go off of of, of the talent level that you have. And with Felipe being there as the a redshirt for a whole year, and now going through basically a half a season plan playing, I'm pretty sure the coaches on, on that staff know what they have in Felipe. And if Felipe's the best guy for the job, they know it. If there's another guy that may be able to do it, they'll know that as well. But I think if you give a quarterback a solid year in the same system and he comes back year two and it's the same system, then you can really use that as a true evaluation of what you
3: have. Now, zooming out a little bit, we've had our fair share of quarterback problems here at the University of Florida, but we've also had several guys transfer and have tremendous success. Recently, Will Greer, before that, guys like Jacoby Bursett, even a guy like Jeff Driscoll is on a practice roster in the NFL. What is going wrong with quarterbacks here at the University of Florida? Why aren't we developing them? Why aren't we getting what we need out of them? Uh, What seems to be the problem in your estimation with why we just can't get a signal caller here?
2: I believe that we're not catering to the skill set of our quarterback if you have a quarterback who's a running style quarterback you can't just say okay well we're going to run this style of offense if your quarterback does something really well i feel like you should cater and adjust to what he to his skill set of what he does well and i feel like our offense ever since t-boy's left has been pretty much base base and set in stone and our quarterbacks haven't fit that we haven't recruited guys that come in and fit our offensive style. Now, that's not saying that, you know, those guys couldn't adjust and play different because obviously they can because all those guys you just named, the Jacoby Brissetts, the, the Jeff Driscolls, those guys are in the NFL playing in a pro-style offense. But for us to get what we can at the University of Florida, the pro-style offense may not be best suited for those guys. So I feel like with a Jeff Driscoll, we should have moved to more of a spread and let him use his legs if he was going to start. And with Jacoby Brissett, if he was going to start, we should have let him use his arm a little bit more. But like I said, it seems like we're so stuck on running our system, no matter who the quarterback is, that sometimes that puts us behind the eight ball.
3: All right, we're going to ask one more question on offense before we really get to your specialty, the defense. A lot of talk is going to be made over the end of this season and heading into next season on who we should retain on the offensive staff. So given what you're seeing now, and I know that could be different from last week to this week, are you in favor of retaining our offensive staff as it is in hopes that the players grow after another year, or do you think changes should be made?
2: Honestly, in order for us to show that we're really trying to make it to that next level, I think changes have to be made. There's there's nothing that has shown me in these first what, six weeks that our offense is pointed in the right direction. I mean, we look just as bad as we did now, as we did last year, as we did the year before. So there's nothing really positive to go off of. If we were coming out losing these games and we were putting up 500 yards on offense, then now it's one of those ones where you can say, okay, well, we don't need to change the offense. We just need to win. But right now, we score 21 points on offense every week this year, and we're undefeated right now. So if we can't come out and get three touchdowns from our offense, something has to change, that's, and that's obvious. We said coming in that tight end was going to be a strong, strong suit for us. I haven't seen the tight ends until this week involved in anything other than blocking, and we have small athletic receiving tight ends, but we're keeping them in to block, whereas we should, you know, if we're going to, Block and we're if we're just going to run the ball. I mean, maybe we should spread it out and, and get less guys in the box cuz those guys aren't blocking tight ends. So it's one of those ones where spe- Special teams in, in tight end coach. I believe is the same So we're we're lacking in that area. We're lacking on the offensive play of area So those are two changes that I think should be made I believe our offensive line is just came around and I believe shoot. uh Coach Sider has came in and got those running backs to play out of their mind, especially when you think about Jordan Scarlett was supposed to be a 30-carry-a-game a type of back, and he goes out on Tuesday of week one, and you still come in and, and keep churning out 100-yard, 90-yard running backs with freshmen and sophomore in that, that locker room. So I believe our, our strong, strongest points are two new coaches that we brought in. If we can get our other coaches – on that offensive staff to to coach and be at the level that those guys are going at, I believe we'll be in the right direction.
1: All right, let me ask you about some of our defensive coaches. Give me your thoughts on Randy Shannon, the scheme that he runs. Is this defense where you thought it would be right
2: now? I would say the defense is playing a lot better than I assumed it would be, especially with Marcel Harris going down and then the linebackers being banged up in with a lot of the suspensions and things that's going on at that position. I knew that our defensive line would, would, would you know, be our, our strongest position on the defense probably. But as a whole, I believe our defense is playing a lot better than what anybody would have. If you would have told guys at the beginning of the year that Chauncey was going to have an up-and-down year and Duke was going to be hurt, Nick uh, Washington was going to be hurt, and we were going to have a bunch of freshmen and first-year players out there, Nobody would have expected those guys to bounce back and come out there and play especially as much man-to-man as we play, as much man-to-man and, and and hold teams to under 300 yards the way this defense is.
3: Do you like the scheme? A lot has been made of Randy Shannon being too vanilla, too basic, too simple, not complicated enough. How do you feel about his strategy on defense?
2: I mean, honestly, I love it because it allows these young boys to get on the field and just play they can just react they don't have to go out they don't have to think as a as a freshman as a sophomore first year starter on defense the last thing you want to be is unsure of yourself and what coach shannon is doing is he's allowing those guys to be sure of themselves even though sometimes the call may not be the call that he would have made let's say he had five you know senior dbs playing out there in the nickel and you have a, a a senior-laden defense. He has a bunch of freshmen out there, so he's simplifying it for them so that they can just go out, react, play fast, and do what they do. Because now, those guys aren't, those guys don't have to be as vocal with each other. They don't have to be the leaders in in the combo coverages to where, with motions and shifts and different, different formations, the defense changes. We're very vanilla, we're very basic, but you have to be these young guys. And And you'll see with all those guys in year two and year three of their college careers, you'll see how complex and and how how crazy and exotic some of those blitzes can be once those guys are smarter football players.
3: Yeah, we saw a little bit of that this past weekend. In fact, I think A&M had about four passing plays that were really successful. And on every single one, it was a miscommunication as to whether we were in a combo man zone or just a straight man. Uh, And I know you mentioned when we talked last week that you played on a defense that had some inexperience and just how different it is with regards to communication and what you're capable of running uh, in that situation. Tell us a little bit about that, because I know that gets lost a lot in the wash. Your experience playing on a veteran defense versus your experience playing on an inexperienced defense.
2: Well, early on in my career, I was blessed to play with you know a lot of experienced guys like the Leo Shepherds and the Martin Andrews, and Todd Johnson, it, a lot of guys who played a lot of football this back in. And then later in my career, I had the chance to play with a lot of freshmen, the Earl Everest, the Channing Crowders, the Marcus Thomas, the uh, Ray McDonalds, a lot of Jarvis Harri, a lot of those guys that were young. And when we first came in. The defense was so complex, and it was, it was crazy because you would have built-in three and four calls sometimes into to the defense depending on what they did. And the only way you got on the field is if you knew all three or four of those calls. So later on in my career, when Coach Strong came in and we had a bunch of freshmen, we basically played the same front, and we had maybe one or two blitzes the whole game going into the games. But we were still successful on defense because we had four senior DBs in the back end who could make sure to get guys lined up. Like I can remember games where Gus Scott would come out and he would have to get Channing Crowder lined up every play before he could even line up. I guess His job was just to make sure that Channing knew what he was doing because Channing was our best player at that position, although he didn't get a chance to go to camp and do all the other things to where he would learn the defense the way you wanted him to but he had to be on the field. So when you have leaders in the back end sometimes, you can run some of those exotic things, and that guy may not know it as long as you have guys that can get them lined up and put them in spots. So it's always good to have those guys that are veteran leaders that have played a lot of football, but when you don't have those guys, you have to find a way just to, just to get it done and get off the field.
3: And so essentially you're sort of describing – the Gators losing Marcel Harris this year it's been talked about as maybe the key loss of the season even bigger than a Scarlett or a Callaway and it sounds like that's what you're saying right now if you had a Marcel Harris he can call out what the offense is about to run he can call out some route combos he can line guys up make sure they're ready for the play and of course we don't have that so we're sort of missing a a leader to get the guys lined up right now
2: exactly now, with Marcel he was a a highly recruited guy, a five-star kid coming out of high school, could have went wherever he wanted. You know, came in with some injuries early on, but he was getting to that point. If you watched him last year, you saw how important he was for us, especially on plays like the fourth down play against LSU and you know the the, the Florida State game, the plays he made in that game. And he was a guy that could have came out last year and would have got drafted pretty high, but his in his mind. He wanted to be a first, second-round guy, so he came back. And that injury put us behind the eight ball because he was going to be the heart and soul of that defense. He was going to be our key guy. He was going to make all those checks. He was going to make sure guys got lined up. He was going to be the guy in the back end on plays like the Michigan game where they threw the deep bomb for a touchdown. Marcel would have been back there to make sure he raced that. He would have been the guy there, the the guy covering – on you know some of those plays where you see some of the safeties in, in bad spots. He would have been the guy that would allow Chauncey to move around and play some nickel, play some corner, play some other positions where Chauncey could have played and been more comfortable, whereas now he's playing at a safety spot and he has to think a lot more. He has to be a lot smarter. And that's, I think that kind of hindered his play early on in the year as well. So if you have a Marcel out there, now those young guys on the outside – I, I think their game play would have been taken to the next level just because now you have the brains of the operation on the field to run it. It's kind of like losing – Green Bay just lost Aaron Rodgers. Now Jordan Nelson's stats are going to suffer. Um, Demarcus Adams' stats – everybody's stats are going to suffer because the brains of the operation isn't there, so things aren't going to work the same. And that's how our defense is without Marcel. It, it just doesn't click the same without him on the field.
1: One of the bright spots this year has been the play of our freshman corners, Henderson and Wilson. What has allowed them to excel so quickly?
2: Well, it's, I think with Marco, it's, it's Chad. It's his dad. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. And not only his two sons, you look at the guys out of South Florida that he trains, rarely do you see a guy that has trained with Chad come out and he's not college ready. Chad gets his guys prepared to, to come in and contribute on a big level. Right away, and it also helped Marco watching his brother the past few years in high school, coming down to the games every week, being so comfortable in the swamp, being comfortable with guys like Duke and Marcel, looking at those guys like they were already family before he got there because he'd been around them so much. Now that's not the, you can do all of that, and if you don't have the skill, it doesn't mean anything. So obviously he had the skill set that was going to be able to help him be successful. Then with Chris, I'm, surp- I'm I'm more surprised with him because he's new to the position. He hasn't been playing DB long. He has all the attributes. He has all the skill sets to be successful, but he just doesn't have the rep. He hasn't taken the reps in game action as much as a corner. So for him to come out and to play and compete the way that he has, he's been the biggest surprise to me because, like I said, he hasn't been at the position long enough, and he's out there in the SEC playing man-to-man on – 80% of his snaps and he's holding it down. Like he's been at corner his whole life.
3: All right. I've got a couple of sort of player mindset questions to ask you. And I'll start first with the recruits and then I'll go second to the guys on our roster. So how does our current play affect the guys that are either committed right now for the 2018 class or are thinking about and going through the recruitment process? Does it affect them to watch what's going on on Saturdays?
2: Honestly, I think it can work
3: for and against us.
2: I believe it can work against us because, well, obviously, as an offensive player, you go out and watch, you know, year in and year out us come out, and I think they set a stat during the game where we hadn't had a 300-yard passer in 17 games. Stuff like that could, could hurt us as far as wide receiver recruits go. But it can also help us because – Now you look at a guy like Matt Corral who's thinking, hey, they haven't had that because I haven't been there yet. I haven't got there yet. So recruiting-wise, it just depends on the player. For me, honestly, I was looking at styles of play more than anything when I was being recruited because I believe that the the proof is is what I see on Saturdays. If you tell me, oh, yeah, I'll get you the ball and we'll get you 1,500 yards in a season – If you haven't gotten one guy 1,500 yards in the past five or six years, it's not going to change me. So that could hurt them. But at the same time now, a lot of these guys always thinking they're these five-star and four-star guys, the way they're getting recruited and the way they're being told that they're the the best thing since sliced bread, a lot of the times they think that they're the reason why things aren't going good, so they're going to come in and change it. So, honestly, I think it can help us and hurt us at the same time.
3: Now, you're uniquely qualified to talk about recruiting because as we talked last week, beyond your seven-on-seven work where you frequently have some of the best players in the state playing for you, you're also going to be doing something I know with Derek Brooks where you've got really the majority of the best recruits in the state of Florida uh, playing for you in December. And the question that I have is, what is the perception of the Florida program amongst recruits right now in comparison to a Florida state or a Miami? Is there a... A perceived downgrade—is it like Florida has less swagger? Florida's less cool. Florida's less exciting. Or do recruits view Florida State, Miami, Florida, all kind of the same?
2: Honestly, it's it's crazy because with that with the with the Legends game that you mentioned that that I'm coaching in, we have a, a group chat on Twitter with all the boys that are committed to playing the game. And as you know, all the 2019 commits are on the team. And there's a lot more guys like the King Dents and the, the, the Jaden Davises out of St. Thomas. And it's, there's, a, there's a, a Demonte Howard who commit. It's a lot of guys that are committed to Florida State and Miami as well on the team. And if you've seen the amount of back and forth that's going on about the University of Florida and all these guys that are getting up every weekend to go to the games, and there's a lot of excitement still, win-lose-or-draw, about the program. These guys are are looking forward to going up to the Florida State game. These guys are are looking forward to going up for junior days. and I mean, they're they're excited about the program as if we were ranked in the top 20 right now just from the sounds of their communicating back and forth. So, I mean, it hasn't hurt us in recruiting as much as most people would think, but I believe if we finish the season the way we're playing right now, it still has time to go the other way.
3: So you've got the recruits and then you've also got the guys on the roster now. What does it take or when, as a player at a college like the University of Florida, do you start to doubt your coaching staff? Because I know the guys say they don't hear the noise, but I know they hear it. I know they see what's going on in the media. I know they know the same narratives we're talking about now. When does that start to get in your head and you start thinking, hey, maybe my coach doesn't know what's best right now?
2: Oh, that, uh, that happens all the time. That happens even when you're winning. I mean, at every level of football, you're going to have selfish teammates. no matter what level you are. You could be – we could be 6-0 all right now, ranked number one in the country, and you'll have guys talking about transferring still. It's just – there are selfish football players on, on any team, so good, bad, or indifferent, guys are going to down talk their coaches if things aren't going their way. But – with the way things are going right now, I'm pretty sure there's guys in there doubting the play calling. I'm pretty sure there's guys in there doubting the depth charts. So I'm pretty sure you see things like the, 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 the running back, uh, Lemons, had posted, tweeted, and said something. There's frustration going on because every, all, every guy on that roster believes that he should be starting. And if he didn't, he shouldn't be at the University of Florida. Now, frustration sets in and guys say and do stupid things that they may or may not mean, but you can't allow that to creep in and break your team unity. And that's what happens when those guys start dogging the coaches and second-guessing the coaches because if you're second-guessing the coaches, then you become a cancer to the team. And now you may get two or three other guys that agree with you, and now you've got to split amongst the team. So right now, I'm pretty sure there's guys in there doubting the coaches, and I'm pretty sure there's guys doubting the coaches at Alabama right now.
1: All right, one last question here for you. The Gators are headed into a bye week. How much can you actually change over a bye week? A lot is made, you know, we're heading to the bye week. Maybe things will be different. How much can you actually change? And could we change enough to beat a team like Georgia?
2: The bye week is the perfect time to change because for the first time since fall camp, you have a chance to just focus on yourself. Throughout the season, you can't really focus on yourself the way you can in the off season or during a bye week because you have to focus on your next opponent. You have to focus on the game plan. You have to focus on the, the strategy that that the coaches mm-hmm. give. You have to focus on the the plays or whatever that's going into that game. And you have a small – window of opportunity to get it done throughout the bye week you have no worries you have no game plan you have no team that you're preparing for even though they're going to start implementing some of the things that georgia does and going against the things that that georgia will do at the same time you can put in a few wrinkles you can put in a few gadgets you can put in a few new calls because you have time to work on them and you don't have to rush it you don't have to feel like oh in this two-hour period we have to make sure we get this X, Y, and Z done. You can make sure to just work on X today, work on Y tomorrow, and work on Z the next day to make sure that those things that you change look the way they do. Then you come back next week, you watch the film, and you can throw some things out, and then you can put in a couple wrinkles off of the things that you like. So right now is the perfect opportunity for them to change and, and, and figure out some different things that may work. And honestly, this is the type of game that if you look back, this is the type of game that we've typically won. I remember playing against Georgia in, in school where they would go twelve and one, they would go eleven and two and one of those two losses would be to us, you know, to a team that they were supposed to be better than. So if 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 McElwain wants to try to get this thing back rolling and and get everybody back on his side and get positive vibes going back in that locker room, this would be the biggest, best win that he could have.
3: He is Kewon Ratliff. He's certainly my favorite guest. He's a UF Hall of Famer, a former corner, NFL corner. Kewon I think it's safe to say for me that if you wanted to put your hat in the ring for any coaching position at UF, I would uh, strongly be in favor of that down the road. But I always appreciate your candor and your intelligence, and we look forward to visiting with you again sometime in the future. Oh,
2: anytime. i would like to say time. I appreciate you for having me on, man.